welcome to the Time Shifters podcast. I'm your host, Christopher. This podcast takes a fun look at the films of long past, recent past, and the almost present, as well as the events and news surrounding them. I would love to hear from you, and there are several ways to get in touch with the show. Look for the Time Shifters podcast group on Facebook, or you can send us a typed or recorded message to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and please check us and our fellow podcasters out over on podchaser.com. Please rate and review the show at any of these outlets. All these links can be found on timeshifterspodcast.com. Now let's head to the Timeshifter studio and start the show. Hey everyone, welcome to the Timeshifters Podcast Comic Expo Edition. Tom and I are here. Woohoo! In the Comic Expo, Cincinnati Comic Expo 2022. Exciting. I mean, we've been hyping this one up for months. I know. Almost all year, frankly. And and even though we, you have been diligent about posting uh, who's coming and when and uh, the unfortunate departures, despite some of the departures, there's still a ton of people here. Still a ton. But I will admit... Some wind is out of my sail. It is with some of the names that have dropped because they're some of like the names that I was most looking forward to. Oh, I know. Paul Williams dropped really early on. Yep. Christina Ritchie dropped. Yeah. And then just days before Kevin Conroy I know. had to drop. That was probably the one that was most sad for me. I really wanted to meet him. I was gonna like do anything I could to beg, borrow, and steal <laughs> in order to get like a drop from Kevin Conroy. And, and, and quite frankly, I might have actually paid money to have him sign something just so I could go spend a minute with him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that, that was very unfortunate. Uh, unfortunately, his was a health-related issue. He yeah. wasn't feeling well, so he canceled. Probably a smart move in you know today's climate, but. <laughs> yep. Wish him the best, but yeah, very disappointing. Yeah, and if you want to come and drop by the show sometime, we'll we'll be happy to have you when you feel better. Absolutely. Um, I mean, William Shatner's still going to be here. Yep. I got to admit, though, I feel like William Shatner for me is kind of like, eh, been there, done that. Well, and also I saw recently he's got a book coming out in a couple weeks. So. Oh, is that why he's it, touring? It, that's his tour. <laughs> yeah, no, it, yeah. Early October, he's got. Uh, Boldly go coming out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. No, if I miss any William Shatner. I'm not going to be, you know. Sorry, sorry, Bill. But yeah, you know, I've seen, known you for quite a while now. Exactly. I've <laughs> I've seen you at more than a, a one or two cons yeah, in the this past. Is true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's still a lot of great people. We were wondering how they were going to fit everybody in. Right. And it's by putting them all in the same room. They're doing like a uh, celebration of Batman the Animated Series, and so they've got John Glover, Adrian Barbeau, Lauren Lester, Kevin Conroy would have been there. Everyone that was a voice actor in Batman, all in one panel. I know. That would have been... Well, That I, is going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing, but I want to be Kevin. <laughs> I had to... <laughs> Uh, so that's how they're doing. They're grouping a lot of these people in, into into themes. You know, they've all been involved in a show or a movie, and so they're putting them all together. Yeah. Okay, so that's how they're. Or else, I think they've all been on top of each other. Right, and and they are having a few spotlight sessions as well. So you get your. Oh no, absolutely. But I would have been very disappointed had someone like Paul Williams been put in just like oh, and you just have in the panel with the uh, Batman folks. Like no, no, that man needs to be on stage by himself with a piano. <laughs> Oh, yeah. you want the whole show. Hell yes, I want the whole show. 
Next year, hopefully. Uh, next year, yes. We can hope. Most of the time when they when they have to cancel, they, they make every effort they can to bring them back the following year. So I, I, I still have my fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. For, for Kevin as well as yes, Paul. Yes, yes, yes. Please, Kevin, please. Yes. <laughs> We still, like you said, we still got some great guests. Is there anyone in particular that you're kind of looking for out of who's left? Lauren Lester is still here. So oh, yeah, Robin. no, no, no. I, I, Robin slash Nightwing. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of bummed I forgot my Nightwing shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I'm looking forward to seeing him. Uh, uh, John Glover would be fun. He's t- tons of stuff, and he's just an interesting he's one of my, person. He's one of my favorite on-screen devils. Oh, really? Well, see, I, I don't know if I know that one. Very short series called Brimstone. I want to say it was on oh. Fox. Okay. And I, I'm aware of it. He was the devil. Nice. And he was fantastic. <laughs> I loved it. It's almost like you just want to ask him just about that. It's exactly. Yeah, I'd be very disappointed if no questions come up in the, you know, about that in in the panel. Yeah. If not, I'll just if I happen to see his coming to the table, I'll just jump up, John. <laughs> You're my favorite on-screen devil. <laughs> He'll go, what? Because <laughs> I'm sure in his career that was but a blip. <laughs> yeah, I think it was only like maybe 12 episodes. Maybe I don't even think it was a full season. Like I said, it was on like, I'm almost positive it was a Fox. And it was one of the, it was in that era of Fox where they're like, let's try a new show. That uh, didn't work. Let's try a new show. That uh, didn't work. Without ever giving a show a chance. And I think that would be kind of an interesting question for some of these folks. They've done so much. You want, and they know why they're here for this. I wonder if uh, how much is some of those one one-off things that just didn't go anywhere. They even really remember doing. <laughs> they, do they remember? And are there ones that they remember and really regret that they didn't because they thought that was a lot of fun? Yeah. You know. Yeah. No. No. Those would be the questions that I'd like to get into. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, we can. We only just walked up like one the main aisle to come <laughs> yeah. up here, and already, I mean, there's just a ton of artists and and authors lining the place. It's gonna be another fantastic year. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing if we can find like the oddity like we right. did last year that we enjoyed. Oh you know? yeah, yeah. I I know it's a lot to ask for for hoping for another uh, the vampire foxes from space situation, but true but this year we're actually going to put in two days at the show good well, we, the time is now 10 a.m the show floor is open for general admission oh my god <laughs> crowds are coming in yes we're going to put two days in because of the panels there's just so much going on over yeah. the course of saturday and sunday yeah we we had to we have to do two pan, uh, two days so be prepared for mega show or little ones yes yeah <laughs> yeah you're gonna have lots of clips we'll, we'll definitely record the you know some panels and share a, a few uh good answers to some questions and uh whatever we can find here on the show yeah uh, the show is officially open the crowds will be coming in it's gonna start getting a little noisier um here they come they're running yeah <laughs> it's a stampede <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have not gotten far before we <laughs> ran into someone that we wanted to talk to. We are here with Alex Markley of Markley Brothers Entertainment. Hello, hello. 
thank you very much for talking with us. And uh, you got us pretty quick. You had a great little sales pitch. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> we look forward to these. It's yeah. great to just see people walking down the, the aisle and just tackle them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Wrestle I, them to the ground, and, and, and then they have to listen. It, it didn't hurt my bad leg at all when you knocked me to the ground. So, But good sales pitch. Thank you. Thank so, you. So tell us a little bit about Markley Brothers Entertainment. Yeah. So Markley Bros. Entertainment is, uh, we are an independent film studio based out of Columbus, Ohio. We focus mostly on comedy. And when I say independent film, really what that means is we make funny videos in our basement and put them online, you know. And it's as independent as it gets. It's as independent as it gets. And really, if you don't fancy it up somehow, how will people know to, to pay attention? You know, got to, yeah, you know, do something to make people take you seriously. Sure. So we see you've got like a YouTube channel and everything. You've got the Discord. Yep. The YouTube channel, do you have like a, is it just random videos? Do you have a series of videos or? Yeah, I, I appreciate the question. So our biggest show is called The Malik's Minute. Uh, it is a dark, surreal sci-fi comedy. Uh, it's got a little bit of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy uh, in its in its DNA with some Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Nice. Uh, maybe a little Doctor Who, you know. Um, That's a hell of a mashup. I, I like it. And, and you're hitting on all of his spots. Oh, yeah, it's, it's my Basically, it's a potpourri of all the trauma I endured in my childhood. So. Can, can you work in any Godzilla and then you'll nope. totally uh, have it? None, yeah. zero, sorry. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so that's that's a show we've been working on for a while. It actually did start out as a podcast back in 2006. Okay. We did a lot of episodes, and I was really hankering to be able to portray visually what I was imagining in my head. Uh-huh. Uh, and so spent you know another 10 years basically trying to figure out how to do uh, CGI and how to how to make it into a real show. So we've got six episodes out now. We the, the sixth episode just came out a few weeks ago. Very excited about it. It's called The Depths of Dismay. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, The Depths of Despair. Despair uh, okay. I should know. <laughs> I, I worked on it for a long time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great little show. We're really excited about it. So are they all animated, or is it a mix of live action and animated? It's a mix of live action and animation. There's uh, a, It's got a little bit of a Who Framed Roger Rabbit uh, aesthetic to it, um, but there's a fair bit of CGI and mm-hmm. green screen involved. Excellent. All right, cool. Yeah. And you've been doing this for how long now? So the so uh, you know Markley Bros Entertainment started uh, kind of semi officially in in 2010, okay. but like I said, our podcast started in 2006. Oh, so okay. it's been it's been a while. The 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 news show, the one that we're here kind of talking about, uh, started in in 2018. Okay, so, great. Yeah, very excited about that. Yeah, very cool. So at it for a while and uh, good. I'm. I'm you know, I hope this helps you gain even more ground. Yeah, thank you. Expo was a great place for some exposure for uh, little studios like yourselves and everything. Because absolutely, there is just so much stuff out there. YouTube is just full, trying to get your name out, and you kind of have to do things like this just to get absolutely. people to eyes on the on the on the product. I think. Yeah, and we'll notice that one of our biggest focuses is uh, community, being focused on uh, orienting ourselves toward real relationships with people. Mm-hmm. You know, because I do believe that there's Really, there's too much uh, division in our culture right now, and folks really need a laugh. (laughs) You know, folks need a laugh, and I feel like there's a way to um, sort of circumvent some of the traditional barriers that people put up by just bringing people together around the shared experience of laughter. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, you know, we could probably do a lot of online marketing and get a lot of numbers, you know, but I'd rather build up that core audience with handshakes. Yes. That's, that's how I'd rather do it. Absolutely. 
And I should mention that since we are here at the Comic Expo, you are passing out free comics. I am. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. Are the comics themselves sort of tied to the show? Yeah, so it's it, it, this is the Newcomer's Survival Guide to the Malik's Minute. Uh, it's a little book that I wrote that kind of introduces the characters, since we do have so much history uh, in the podcast, and a lot of random characters, a lot of backstory. Um, I, I just wrote it as an introductory guide <laughs> That's to, brilliant. to the show. That's a great idea. Yeah, Again, you. you're, you're getting people that may have never heard from you. They might know, want to know a little bit. Now you get a little primer. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Now, can, is that the only place people are going to be able to get this? Is that the expo, or can you get that from a website? Or? So we do have an online store. Um, the comic is, I think we have it listed right now for $2.50, but it's while supplies last, because mm-hmm. it's, okay. you know, where everything we do, we do short runs, and, <laughs> sure. and there's limited supply. You don't want to be plastering a house with all of the yeah, Correct, correct. <laughs> all right, that's Markley Brothers Entertainment, and the website or the store? Where would, yep. where would people find you? Yep, we are online at mbe.tv. mbe.tv? That's right. Excellent. Great. Uh, link will be in the show notes. Uh, yeah, Alex, thank thanks you. very much for talking with us. Yeah, it was great to chat with you. Thanks for having me on. As well as all the other vendors and comic creators and everything, there's always awesome artists at the Comic Expo. I'm here with Beth, and she is Chalk Girl. All her <laughs> art, it's astonishing. And don't correct me if I'm wrong, all sidewalk chalk. All sidewalk chalk. Wow. That is remarkable. What chose you to use that medium? I was bored. <laughs> Um, I'm so tired of paint and pencil. (laughs) No, I was home from school uh, for college from the summer, and um, I just had nothing else to do. So I said, I'm going to go recreate the Harry Potter book cover, the first Harry Potter book cover on my driveway. And I did that. It rained, went away. A couple weeks (laughs) later, did some Pixar characters. And people would, like, stop on their nightly bike rides and look at it. And it was just really fun. Um, A year later, I took those pictures in a portfolio to Six Flags Great America, and they made me a job on the spot so that I could draw Looney Tunes, Hanna-Barbera characters, Justice League, uh, one picture every day during the summer. I would get washed down at the end of the night, and then I'd do a new one the next day. So I kind of honed the skill that way. As an artist, what you're creating, how does that feel knowing that when you do things like that on concrete, you know, on the sidewalk, that your art is only going to last maybe a day? I With the position, because it was made for that, I knew going in that none of it was going to last. But we live in this fabulous age of cameras, so I have pictures of almost everything I've drawn. I have heard of this. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I knew going in, and it doesn't bug me. When it comes to the stuff that I sell at the conventions now, i a little more concerned about, you know, should sprinklers go off in the hall, but <laughs> right. that's about it. Is that something, I mean, when you decided to actually try to sell your artwork, make it something, a permanent kind of thing? I assume you did a lot of research just like, how do I make this not fade, not run? Yeah, Um, so we've tested about 75 different fixatives, um, (laughs) and we're still working on it. The stuff that I use, like you said, is just sidewalk chalk. It's not really meant to be archived. Crayola doesn't make permanent chalk for a reason. Right. Um, And so we have... Correct. <laughs> and so we have, uh, we finally found one that works about 90, 95% of the way. If somebody wanted to take one of our originals home, we would talk to them about it. We would take it home. We'd seal it the best we could. And then we would help them through the process of figuring out how to hang it in their house, um, whether it be on a scroll or behind a frame or whatever they want. 
Um, everything else is digital prints of the original stuff, so those I'm not so worried about. Uh, but those people can take home and they can do whatever they want with them. <laughs> I didn't ask, and I should have right when I when I started. What is your uh, background in art? I assume you didn't just start. I think I'm going to make chalk drawings. You obviously did. You, did you go to school for it? Or was yesterday. It something just, just started up? yesterday. Yeah. It was great. No. Um, <laughs> My mom is an artist, and she was the one that put the crayon in my hands. And uh, just, I have two very athletic older siblings, so when they were on the field or on the court, I was on the sidelines with my coloring book and my crayons. And it was just kind of always something that I, I leaned towards and that I was kind of good at. Um, so I've been drawing for a very long time, but I also did go to school. I went to Columbia College in Chicago for traditional animation. Oh, oh, interesting. Yeah. So something where your art from here is very static. Yeah. You're, kind of went to school and you were very interested in the in the motion of, of, of animation. I wanted to work for Pixar so bad, um, but a lot of the animation in America doesn't happen in America, America anymore. A lot yeah. of it is outsourced, and so I was like, well, I'm not going to move to Korea or India, um, so I have to find something different, and this was it. Excellent. This is fantastic. Uh, so obviously you're here at the shows. You try to do a few other shows. You tour around, but is there a, a website or kind of a home that people can come and find and buy a print or even an original? Absolutely. I have a website. It's adventuresofchalkgirl.com. I'm also on Etsy and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and Twitch. So uh, yeah. Google Chalk Girl. If yes. You're gonna find <laughs> yeah. It. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> well, thank you very much for talking to me. Good luck here at the show, and thank you. you have a great time. Thank you so much. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm here with Jim Swearingen. He was the principal conceptual designer for Kenner's line of Star Wars toys, as well as many other products and everything. So it's a delight to meet you. This is a fantastic opportunity. The um, the whole Star Wars toy thing was just a phenomenon that, I don't know, did, did you see it coming? <laughs> well, yes and no. <laughs> I, uh, my first introduction to, to George Lucas was THX 1138, 1971. I, okay, so, and I graduated from UC here in Cincinnati in 1972 and started working for Kenner Toys. And... Uh, in 1974, I think, they started preliminary design where we started looking at uh, inventor product and new materials, and then we were getting into licensing. Worked on the $6 million man first. Nice. As part of that team. I gave him his bionic eye. Oh, good. And then uh, 1976, I read a four-paragraph blurb about Star Wars being made by George Lucas in 20th Century Fox. And a couple months later, the script came into the office, and I grabbed it as my project. So that was the very beginning of it. That's fantastic. Now, when it's toys based on, like, a movie, you obviously have to stick. The appearance and everything has to match the movie as close as possible and everything. Is that kind of challenging when you're looking at um, when you're looking at just what you have to work with or, or with the, the materials that you might have available at the time? Yeah, at the time, it was, it was uh, challenging because... We were working against a schedule that was really tight. We weren't going to. We knew from the very start we wouldn't have product out for a year. So 1978 was really the first year that there was a, a real product line. We did some stuff in 77, like paint, paint stuff, planes and dip dots. 
mm-hmm. the board game, but the real toys wouldn't be there till 1978. Right? Wasn't it kind of historical? You you you, you could buy like a uh, you're gonna get this thing to be put to put under the tree. With yeah. A, yeah. A voucher for the uh, actual product. Yeah, it was right. uh, the early bird special. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was a, a marketing ploy that you know paid off a little bit. It wasn't so much that they sold a lot of them, but it got us great PR. You know. Every radio TV station was talking about how audacious it was that a toy company would sell you an empty envelope. So, so that was pretty cool. Did you ever get an opportunity to construct a toy that maybe didn't show up in the film but was still within like the, the Star Wars or, or whatever franchise uh, theme? Not really. Not until much later. Once it was in a production design area, it was. Uh, I did all the. I got to work on a lot of the stuff that just got it sold into the company, and then eventually turned it like making the figures three and three quarters inches tall and stuff, and really creating the category. Yeah, how did that size figures. come about? Because that wasn't something that was very typical. Yeah, there's two. There's two stories. One that Bernie Loomis put his hand up and said, "Make him this big," <laughs> and my boss Dave Okada taking a ruler out and asking, you know, saying, "You know, oh, three and three quarters." That's one story. My story is kind of a little different. Is that I started making the first uh, kitbashed models using Adventure People from Fisher Price. And they just happen to be three and three quarter inches tall. So, nice. So it's a serendipity. Perfect. <laughs> and the whole idea, I mean, uh, early on the larger toys at the time were like the like G.I. Joes and stuff, yeah. which were all like 12 inch, and they had all the joints and everything. Star Wars, historically, were just, you could bend them at the shoulders and the legs. And that was kind of part, just because it was so small, I'm assuming the technology just wasn't there to put that joint in the elbow and that sort of thing, right? Well, that was part of it. The, the, the other part was that we were working against the schedule. We wanted stuff out as far as fast as possible. So limiting the articulation was part of it, keeping the parting lines flat or nearly flat so that they could be easily produced in steel. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of practical things that went into that. Um, at press point, price points, the figures that, uh, that we first released sold at retail for two or three dollars right instead of 17 or 25 <laughs> right. now so we had some limits to put on it so. and then from there i mean you've had the figures um i assume like all the vehicles and that sort of thing kind of came second and you had to design those kind of around the figures to make sure everything fit together right actually it's back kind of the other way around really interesting reading the script and thinking of myself as an eight-year-old I wanted to make the spaceships, the X-Wing and the TIE Fighter. I was imagining doing the dogfights, you know, with my friends, and really the only way to do it was a practical size. So it was just, part of it was, I saw them as the heroes, and the figures were just part of the play. So it really dictated that we couldn't do a 12-inch figure, for sure. Right. The X-Wing would be 25 feet long or something. Grant, there's a lot of people that would have loved it, but yeah, yeah, you're right, I I see your point. I mean, they're making a full-size, I think I heard they're making a full-size Millennium Falcon out of Lego, so... Oh my god, (laughs) I can't even imagine. Well, I can't thank you enough because you kind of helped shape so many childhoods through the 70s and 80s, and I really appreciate every hours of fun playing with the toys that you helped design, and really thank you, and thanks for coming out to to the Expo, and I hope we have a good time here today. I will. Thank you. So lunchtime at the expo. 
we actually had to actually sit down and actually eat some food first for a while there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so far, it's been a fun morning, and yeah. we've talked to some really great people. And once again, we've found those little nook and cranny, the uh, the people that are doing their own independent work that uh, we're, we're going to get an opportunity to take a look at, see more about it, and uh, hopefully talk about it more. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we'll definitely check out the uh, the, 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 the short films and all the, their YouTube channels and everything and see if they're... When they talked about the, you know, the sort of dark comedy sci-fi or whatever, like, that sounds right up our alley. Indeed, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we will definitely check that out. Uh, I actually really enjoyed talking with Beth, with the chalk art. Yeah, the chalk girl. Yeah, she was. It, her her art is amazing. Yeah, we didn't go into it. We talked to her a little bit more after we recorded, and talking about the realism that she pulls out is really astonishing. Yeah, no, I. I she's doing with chalk what people hope to be struggle, able to do. Struggle to do with <laughs> pencil and ink and yes, uh, no. It, and I, I did ask her because she sells digital prints. I asked if she ever tweaks the digital art. She did admit that there are times that she does just yeah. a little. Uh, yeah. there, there's um, there's pencil lines and stuff that sometimes show up that she'll go in and erase. But she did say that occasionally if there's a facial feature or something that she just can't get right, she will tweak it a little bit in the digital print. Sure, and that, that's just so that she can get the the copy that she can get out to the uh, those that are interested, but aren't prepared to pay for the uh, the full chalk art. Right. And really, that's fine, because it's still artistry. It is. You know, I don't I don't consider that a cheat or anything. No, I mean, and she is a uh, trained artist as well. Uh, I mean, I hope she gets her chance at Pixar one day. Yeah, no kidding. Hopefully, maybe they'll bring some stuff back, in, back into the States. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully it came out because unfortunately it was very noisy and he was very soft-spoken. But hopefully you've all heard a little bit from uh, from uh, Jim. Um, and I've already forgot his last name. It's Swear or something. <laughs> Swearinger. Thank you, Jim Swearinger, uh, the toy designer. That's yes. just so cool. I mean, how and he just hits me as the kind of person that doesn't even phase him really. That it's like that he's a part I of history. Shape. Yeah, <laughs> I help shape the world because toy after that. Everything changed after the Star Wars toilet. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it launched the, the the whole thing that we're here for. Um, is Honestly, bore, yeah, is bore out of um, Star Wars toys. I mean, yeah, that's a little when bit, collectibles true. really kind of became a thing. Well, that's when I think when suddenly you, it kind of birthed the fandoms. Really, mm-hmm. I, I can't think of anything that I don't. I couldn't see us all coming together and doing like. The giant lost in space convention. I mean, what was there? What was there prior? You know, right? No, I mean, and, and Star Trek never successfully got anything in the way of merchandising off the ground, even though they did come before Star Wars. They yeah, just that's were true. terrible at getting any kind of merchandising. Yeah, yeah. So for whatever reason, however they did the Star Wars, it just. <laughs> It was the right time, and they did it the right way. Absolutely. Um, and 
it's just such a fun tale. Like, I have seen him among all the others in the Toys That Made Us docuseries. Yeah, and that's something I keep meaning to look into. I haven't absolutely have to watch it. The, uh, the, the episode on Kenner and Star Wars alone. The talk about, like, he got into it a little bit, but, I mean, this was a time they weren't going to get to see any of the film before they were asked to make. Yeah, they just had photos. And it was photos of, and like, the actors. I love that they got a script. Yeah. And, and yeah, they get a script, but, they, I mean, they have no idea what it's going to look like. And when we talk about photos, we're talking about some of the actors in some of the costumes. It's not like they actually got to see the ships or any of that which is why first generation Star Wars toys they were a little rougher they were not a, not super screen accurate or anything. yeah that, that, that probably explains some of the, the odd you know oh this is the character in green pants instead of brown pants because maybe it was a black and white photo and they made their best guess and there's a funny story that's told during that docuseries too where uh, uh, they had to rough out uh, a Jawa uh, uh, very quickly, and the guy literally took his sock and cut it up <laughs> and put it on like an old Fisher Price toy, and that was the Jawa that they put in front of uh, Lucas. Unless they're paying him, that's awesome. Yeah, no, I mean it, it, it's just it was destiny that they got to do that. And I love that it's all. I mean, you can thank Cincinnati. Kenner was based in Cincinnati. He graduated from the University of Cincinnati. It's all local. Yeah, it's all very local here. Um, and, and it's actually funny. just a few blocks away. Kenner was located just on the street right outside of where uh, the Union Terminal is. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, well, I remember. Uh, you can even see it on old WKRP. Uh, Things where uh, they have posters of the Cincinnati area, and Kenner is a building that is featured on this. I remember seeing that once at a White Castle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love it. And actually, I have friends that have all they grew up doing stuff at Kenner. So, and it all came out of Star Wars. I love the fact that although it's not kind of advertised or whatever, how much Cincinnati has helped shaped. Um, several franchises. Uh-huh. You know, Kenner and the Star Wars toys. Yeah. Very important. Our Union Terminal. Inspiration for the Hall of Justice in the 1960s, 1970s uh, Super Friends. Still is. The Hall of Justice as the Union Terminal makes appearances in in Lego uh, superhero series yeah. and all of and that's all just sort of like quiet behind the scenes, uh-huh. but we know, you know, we know the truth. I love it. Yeah, no, it's great. It's, it's, that's why I think it's just fantastic that something like the, the Expo, Cincinnati Comic Expo, has found its home here. First of all, the name Cincinnati Comic Expo just wouldn't work anywhere else, but... <laughs> It really yeah, wouldn't. Yeah, but they have found their home here, and it, I think it's a really great way to sort of, and they do that really well with their artwork and everything, is they use like a Union Terminal as like a backdrop for oh, a lot yeah. of stuff and things like that. And they really do, they, they celebrate all these little quiet, behind-the-scenes uh, events that happened. 
here in Cincinnati. I love it. Yeah, no. and, and I, I love that we haven't even gotten into panels or celebrities yet. We, all, everything we've seen and done is just down here on the floor. Yeah, it, it's all on the floor. It's all of the people that are coming here for an opportunity. Yep. I live, I live in Westchester. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yep. Well, the next thing we'll probably actually will be going to some of the panels. We got something come up here real soon. I forget who's on the schedule, but I knew it was someone at like two o'clock or something like that. We wanted to hit. Sorry, folks. We skipped uh, William Shatner for food. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I said earlier. He just feels like I've been there, done that. Looked at it. Yeah. No. I mean, we, and he, like I said, he's going to be here promoting that book. So, I mean, if you're interested in the book, go buy the book. Yeah. But we'll have lots of other, uh, a lot of the other celebs and everything coming up in the Q and A's. So. Yep. Until then, thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. Yep. Okay, so we just got out of the Christopher Lloyd panel. Uh, and it was a good time. <laughs> well, the front row barely a good time, apparently. <laughs> yeah. He kept sort of forgetting that he was on mic. <laughs> and forget, kept forgetting he had a handheld mic. Yeah, he would get a little animated, and his stories were lost in, <laughs> in, to, the, to the loudspeakers for the room. Yeah. It was a little unfortunate. It's... I mean, he's an actor who's obviously getting up there in age. Right. It's moments like that where I feel like it's almost... I hate to say sad, but that's kind of how I'm feeling. I mean, he still seems very much with it. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah, And he has a great memory. He could remember... It's just, when you've been in as many things as he has for as long as he has, I mean, we're talking, like, Cuckoo's Nest came up, and that, that goes all the way back to the 70s, so... That's a long time ago at this oh, point. Hell yeah, no, he's been in the business for over 50 years. I mean, right. yeah. And he still does remember these things. And, right. I mean, people were bringing up uh, particular episodes of Taxi. Sure. And he remembered stories from filming that episode. Right. So either that comes up a lot when people talk to him, and that's why he remembers, or he just still remembers. So it's, but he still, but it, it, it's, it, it's like asking your grandfather a question. <laughs> Well, actually, you know what? His role as Jim in Taxi is as probably close to his personality as could be, because he speaks like Jim. It feels that like, a little bit. Like, yeah, it, it's it, it's got it's got a flow to it, and only he knows the flow. There were times he even goes, "Did I come anywhere close to answering the question that you asked?" Because <laughs> yeah. he, I think he knows that about himself. Mm-hmm. It's not even so much of an age thing. It's just there's a lot in that man's head, and it's going to just flow in whatever way that he can get it out of himself. Yeah, unfortunately, that flow takes his arm with him occasionally. It does, and, and they really should put a lavalier. On him. <laughs> yeah, they need a lav mic or something, or a directional mic pointed at them. Yeah, yeah the, the, the handheld thing doesn't work. Yeah, because you can't even pick on the age because the man stood up and talked yeah, during true. the whole time, and he's he's animated. His arms are moving around. He's walking around on the stage. So, yeah, it, it's just a matter of I think that's his personality, and yeah. they didn't prep for it properly. Yeah, and that's not the first time that sort of stuff has happened. I think we were here the other year, maybe even with the uh, the Firefly group. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they, they had, like, a mic to pass around. Yeah, so half of them would tell stories why they weren't holding the mic. And right. And you couldn't yeah. hear a word that they were saying. So, well, yeah, no. it's not just Christopher Lloyd, I yeah, guess. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a matter of a convention that still does not learn from some of its past mistakes. <laughs> it happens. Yeah, and, it you does. know, God love the expo and everything, but the, 
questions that the uh, man well, the moderating. Nothing. <laughs> it really felt like I don't actually know anything. This is what someone told me to ask. Right. Yeah. Like I've never actually seen a Christopher Lloyd film or TV show. Yeah, which I obviously I, I don't think is true. No. But the, the questions maybe they were purposely kind of you know low hanging fruit questions to get the ball rolling because they knew other things would be coming later. But I suppose. But I mean, there 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 seems to be a lack of energy when they ask the question. They don't seem to be invested. And they're not providing guidance to, to even the, the guest, I, which I think is supposed to be part of the role. <laughs> I always feel a little comfortable, too, with the questions that are very directed at what's it like to work with somebody else? Yeah, no, I, actually, it was, that was a cringeworthy moment for me because, uh, like, with everything that uh, that man has done to ask him, so what was it like to work with Andy Kaufman? I'm like, um... <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yeah, you need to find a way to ask a question like that, but make it general. Like, what's it like, you know, working with... The, you know, I would or, like to know what it was like to work with Judd Hirsch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was it like being in that cast, you know, sure. being in that it's environment an and everything? And see if any stories about any individuals would come out from that. Sure, yeah. And, and if it doesn't, yeah, the role with it go, keep moving, let it go. It, this is Christopher Lloyd's moment, not... Not Andy Kaufman's? <laughs> not Andy Kaufman's, no. Yeah. So... Yeah, no, I mean, it could have been done a little better, obviously. It was still fun to see him. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was fun to see him. Uh, he still looks really good. And, and yeah, the fact that he can still remember you know, individual stories from yeah. 50 years yeah. ago. I love that somebody picked on um, the movie Nobody. It's a personal favorite of mine. Oh, excellent. Uh, and, the idea, and I understand there actually is a sequel in, brewing, and he yeah. plays the father character in that film. No so. no Dream Team questions. <laughs> I'm know, sure, right? I'm sure somebody line. in that line had a Dream Team question, and they just, they they just didn't get didn't a chance. Get well, like yeah. I said, there's a lot, a lot to go on. Now, the thing I'm a little disappointed about, because... We, I don't know if we spoke about it, but it was on the schedule to get a photo op with the guy that played um, Lurch from the Adams Family mm-hmm. movies and him. Carol Struck. Yeah, I can't pronounce yeah, the last sorry. name. But there were questions about Star Trek Three, and there no opportunity for William Shatner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, yeah, they literally no. choked each other out in the film. Yeah. <laughs> It would have been a great photo op if you were just standing there watching the two of them choke each other yeah, out, just, you, you know, know and you'd be like, oh, I like surprise. That would be awesome. That would have been amazing. And I don't, they didn't put the two and two together or, or maybe they did and schedules did not permit or other yeah. things involved that we never know. Yeah. I, I would actually really like to uh, have his opinion. Like we talked about on the show, the idea that, I mean, he set the groundwork for what Klingons were going to be yeah. for the next 40-some years. Right. Quite frankly, uh, it took uh, um, Discovery in the 2000, well, I guess it was the second of the 2009 era movies, but uh, um it's still the definitive Klingon for me. So. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And it would be interesting to get his... It, does he have any thoughts on it at all? You sure. Know? I mean, does does he understand the significance? <laughs> <laughs> do, yeah, do you, do you not understand if there was no you, there's no Worf? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, it would actually be interesting to actually have the two of them at a convention at the same time and actually have them on like a, a small Q&A together talking about their lives as Klingons. Yeah, that'd be kind of fun. Because I got to think Michael Dorn has to look back, and he's at the right age, too, where he was like, he, you know, like us, 
he saw that if he watched Star Trek at all when he was younger. Right. He saw that role. Right. Yeah, he know? saw that role. It probably very much flavored how he would or, play. Yeah, or just actually getting the part. What are you going to do? You're going to go back and research other Klingons in right. the past. He's going to have to have seen Christopher Lloyd, Commander Krug. Right. Yeah, no, uh, that, that would be a fun conversation. Yeah, and, I mean, obviously, Michael Dorn has made a career out of Worf. <laughs> yes, he So, has. I mean, he has a lot to thank Continuing Lloyd to for. do so, because he's about to be in um, it Picard, again. yeah. <laughs> no, it was a fun panel. I think it would have been more fun if had we, we been hear able anything? to hear most of it, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, these things happen. Live panels. <laughs> I mean, it's a live panel. Yeah, a- a- anything could happen. That's right. Still, fun time. We got another at least a good hour or so before the uh, the Batman panel. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to that one. So I think we'll probably just uh, go wander a little bit more and head back up, and uh, we'll we'll try our VIP press status on the next panel and see what happens. Yes. Uh, oh, is it on now? You're on. How cool. I've yeah. never been to your fair city. It's fabulous. I would say something probably diplomatic. <laughs> but I, I, the only reason I know anything about it was we had a little walk around this neighborhood. And a wonderful, uh, I saw that vow, which is to die for. And, and I thought, this is a cool city. And that's Do you remember it being like, man, that was great? Or were you like, no, I did better things than that? 
I like all three of mine equally. <laughs> <laughs> Daily. <laughs> if you're so smart, why aren't you rich? Uh, okay. Thanks, Batman. What the hell was that? Uh, yeah. I, I, we were we were talking about Christopher Lloyd earlier and fearing maybe a little age, and I think uh, that was a little off base. Now I think we might be back to that. <laughs> Maybe. I'm not sure. Let's backpedal a little bit, because we sure. didn't uh, talk about the panel with the Batman the Animated Series. Well, sure. Uh, Let's talk about that. <laughs> yes. We had John Glover, Lauren Lester, Adrian Barbeau, and uh, Diana Pershing. Yeah. Uh, so we've got uh, the Riddler, Robin, uh, Catwoman, and Poison Ivy. Correct. <laughs> That was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun, yeah. That was a brilliant panel. You could tell that they've maybe done a few cons together before. They all have had a great time. They all yeah. know each other. It yeah. was very cool learning that they, uh, when they recorded, yeah. they recorded together. They were in a, a they were actually or, yeah. In, yeah, they were actually in a round, and they actually got to play off of one another. So it got to be more acting and, and you know what it comes off in the series too yes it feels like the characters are actually interacting with one another and that's because they were yeah. no, that's it, amazing it's a lot of fun talking with them <laughs> I felt so sorry for John Glover <laughs> compared to the three other uh, three well, panelists there right he they, was sort of like the odd man out yeah because he I mean his character just wasn't in the series as much which was kind of disappointing that was actually one of the best portrayals of Riddler oh I love the version of Riddler yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that was brilliant right but no I and it's just so much fun how um, I mean of course it's their voices but for Lauren I <laughs> it, really is his voice. He, he is, sounds like, yeah. He's Dick Grayson. I mean, he actually did do it. He did, like, the Robin voice, the Dick Grayson voice, and the Nightwing voice. And, right. you know, he, he does kind of pitch it up a little bit when he does Robin. And right. Like, okay. But honestly, when he's just up there talking, it's like, that, that's Robin. Right, that, yeah, I, yeah. I hear Robin. Hey, Dick, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it was amazing. And, and re- reason why, I, for, for the whole thing, he's the only one I've gotten an autograph from. So no, uh, that that was so much fun. They they played off. Uh, this gets we got into a little bit of side conversation after it about. Uh, I always feel bad for those people that come up and they ask them questions as if the actors are the characters, and you, you get that little groan moment for a minute. I think they the, handle it well. Yeah, the person that came up and asked about what their characters would be like in the modern you know, uh, retellings of some of these stories. Right. I think I get what they were going for. I don't sure. think they worded it right. I don't think no. he was really, I think he was just trying to get their opinion more on how they would see the characters that they portrayed. You know, I, I, I'm having a hard time putting it into words too. I think I see his point. Sure. And actually, I kind of liked how Diane went into a, well, she turned it into more of a, this is this is the way that we did it, and yes, now uh, there it's they get there's a lot more violence in uh, that, and, and a lot more graphic violence, and that's yeah. not how they did it. Lauren actually went into the whole point. Yeah, no, it was against the code uh, of what we were making at the time. Nobody died in an episode. If you dropped twenty stories, you were still going Ugh! when you landed, and like. 
Like, we know what happened, but, <laughs> but we weren't going to portray it that way. Yeah, it was, it was a real interesting discussion. It was really, it was. They, they had a great time, and uh, it, it was a really great time listening to them. Followed by Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> Which I, I was excited for when, yeah. when we got to sit there and stay for that. I just, this isn't the venue. Uh, he went on a, what can only be called rant. a political rant. Yeah. And whether you agree with his points or not, I just feel like this isn't the venue for it. No, and this is where we get into the, does he actually understand where he is and what he's doing? Because um, there's one point, so when they got around to the uh, the guests, actually, or the uh, actual attendees asking questions, they would ask a question and he wouldn't answer their question. He'd go into further, deeper into his political rant. Yeah. And you weren't even, there was a one point where somebody asked him about what about Bob? And it was unclear that he was even answering, like, it, he started to talk about Bill Murray, but it ended up being about Trump. And it yeah. was like. Yeah, he went on a tear about Bill Murray and it just kept going from there. I, kudos to the moderator on this one. Although he could have acted a little quicker. Right. He did at several points try to turn it and try to coax re- him back to the answer yeah, the question re- asked. And refocus the, the, the conversation. So kudos for him trying. Uh, but yeah, he could have maybe jumped in a little sooner. Well, and even when he was semi sort of on topic, I mean, it, with, when asked the question about sharks versus aliens, which would you let, rather run, run into? He went into a rather morbid conversation about sharks. Right. You know, like, uh, uh, can we go? Right. Yeah, and I really thought it was going to turn into another politics discussion <laughs> yeah, there for a minute. And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. Um, you're talking about um, people going around selling books. Right. He's selling a book. He's selling a book. He's got a book coming out this fall. Well, hey, here, here's the thing. I'm actually on his side about something because he wanted to talk about the fact that we don't teach civics. Right. Like, that's fine. We're at a comic book convention. <laughs> yes. Yeah. His whole thing, his whole tear was about civility and teaching civility and being able to agree with, or not agree, but, you know, live with people having different opinions and like, yep. okay, you know, I'm with you, buddy, but these people want to know about, you know, Jaws. They want to know about you fighting alien or, you, you know, You've acted in so many aliens. things. We didn't even cover that. Like, there was no conversation of his career. No. There, there was no questions about... He didn't really answer questions about being a part of any of those things. And I felt sorry for the people that were asking the questions. I did. The woman that was asking about Mr. Holland's opus, and she was talking about how much it was important to her and everything. And he just goes on a tear about his Republican music teacher. Right. Which I I don't even know where he was landing with any. That that was part of the thing, too, is he had a slant, but it was a little unclear what it was. Yeah, they definitely (laughs) didn't stick the landing on any of it. (laughs) No, so... Uh, yeah, he obviously has an agenda for being here. He's trying to sell his book, but I mean, it just came off real. It was hard to listen. Yeah, unfortunate. Yeah. Um, I I won't be playing any. I, I thought I kept recording his thing. Right. He'll eventually get into something that maybe I can. I, no, there, there I, won't be anything from Mr. Dreyfus. Yeah, there was a little hope there toward the end, and then he went way sideways with the whole shark thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
So we heard it so you don't have to. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, if you guys uh, want to hear more about it, then uh, contact us directly, I guess. And uh, sure. we'll be glad to share the story. But if, if you're I into think, train wrecks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this one, that was kind of like last year's... Um, Oh, what's his name? Uh, the guy from Torchwood. And, uh, oh, Barrowman? John Barrowman. Yeah. 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 I, I, I used all of like 30 seconds, <laughs> and, and half of that was bleeps. Well, yeah, but that was John being John, and he was at least entertaining. <laughs> this was not. No, this wasn't. This was painful. It was really hurting. <laughs> all right. Well, I think one more quick round. Um, maybe pop in and see how busy some of the guests are. And, sure. Uh, I know you're di- you're dying to just uh, have a more conversation with Richard Dreyfus. Yeah, I'm gonna go talk to Richard Dreyfus, and uh, I'm yeah. gonna be in the car waiting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, let's see what kind of trouble we can get into. All right. This has been a good. I've had a great time here at this uh, festival. Do you call it? Expo. Expo. We'll yeah. go with Expo. But people are great. You know, I've been to Cincinnati before um, for uh, to, to stand up. And sports stuff, obviously. And uh, but this is fantastic. Did you come here to watch the Bengals at any time? Well, you know, stuff? I watched them in the Super Bowl because they played in L.A. Yes. And uh, the Rams. And uh, uh, people seem a little uh, worried about them. They shouldn't. My team is the New York Giants, and they won two. Yes. They're going to F it up. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> Bengals will get it. They'll, they'll turn that quarter. I hope so. No worries on them. They're solid. Football season is very long, by the way. So, you'll see what happens. 15 more games. <laughs> yeah. Is that crazy? Yeah. Um, so, you, you started in stand-up. Um, I did. Uh, when you first started. What led you to stand-up? Well, when I was a kid, I was raised uh, from Tumble, Iowa, which is a little uh, Iowa town, a meatpacking town. And uh, my dad raised us kids. Uh, my mom was a lunatic, but my dad raised us kids. And but when he was, he got married to my mom when he was 18. She was 16, pregnant. Uh, so when he was 22, I was four. My sister was three. My brother was one. And uh, uh, I think of that often now because I'm a single dad with a nine-year-old, a six-year-old. You know, I'm like, holy hell, that must have been <laughs> some some deal for this guy. Um, but uh, the he worked at a, a factory there and. Uh, you know, we worked very hard, and uh, but the only time we really heard my dad laugh, and I mean laugh hard, was when there was a Bob Hope special on. Bob Hope was a co- great comedian and uh, would go around to Vietnam or or uh, Korea or wherever and entertain troops and bring uh, you know, pretty women with him. Just a little, you know, they they do jokes and, and it was great. And my, see, we'd hear our dad downstairs just laugh, guffawing, and I, I thought, whatever it is Bob Hope does. I think that's what I want to do. So I'll make him laugh. So one of the first things I did in Hollywood, I moved out there uh, in 1988 to write the Roseanne show. And uh, one of the first things I did for t- uh, television was a Bob Hope special. You know, and I think we were dressed like Robin Hood and uh, we had tights on. And uh, uh, so my dad, he called my dad. I, I told him about my dad. He called him. He wrote all this stuff for him, um, you know. And, and so my dad, back in Ottumwa, Iowa, in the same living room that he used to watch Bob Hope when I was a baby, uh, watched Bob Hope with me, his son. How crazy is that? That is crazy. <laughs> so there was a movie I knew big people were auditioning for it called True Lies. I legitimately paid for this part. 
you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jamie Curtis, and then the third guy. And there were big people, and, and uh, I didn't even think about it for, I just thought it was impossible. My agent called and said, hey, Jim Cameron wants to meet with you. And I was like, that is bullshit. Because <laughs> he, he called, they called Jim Cameron and said, please, for William Morris, we do a lot of business with you. Please meet this guy. Just meet him. You don't have to. So I almost didn't go because I was embarrassed. Like, it's a mercy meeting, right? But then I thought, how, how the hell else am I going to meet James Cameron? I'm going to go there down to his office and have this meeting. So go in there. He's great. Buddy, we chit-chat a little bit. And then he's like, okay, do the scene. And it was like, yeah, I didn't even read the scene. And he's like, why? I go, because I'm not getting the movie. It's better to, uh, that to not have tried than to have tried and then be disappointed, which is the lesson I, that I teach my kids. But he's like, oh, well, it's three pages. Just while you're here, read it. So I read it one time, and then he's like, huh. And then he yelled, get Arnold down here. Arnold was upstairs at the loft. I didn't know he was there, Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I see Arnold coming down the stairs, and, uh, and we do the scene once, and the chemistry is so good, but and it's amazing. And by the way, the reason James Cameron said he cast me is because when Arnold was walking down the stairs, I actually said, I could take him. You know, we size up guys like, well, I have to do that. Um, but uh, then he said, you got the part. This all happened to this one, but you can't tell anyone for two weeks. And I was like, yeah. I swear to God, I won't tell anyone the best news of my life for two weeks. I went out to my car, we had those big phones, I'm calling everybody, nobody believes it. My own uh, uh, ex-wife says, are you back on drugs? I was like, and by the time I got home, I went, maybe it didn't happen. So I was so to myself in the mirror like, that's, that's a fever dream. What is going on? Well, I didn't know the reason he had to wait, wait two weeks. Uh, I didn't know until after the movie came out, but Jim Cameron had to go to Fox Studios. And, uh, and, and he went down there, he said, hey, I got great news. Uh, we can start filming True Lies because I found the third guy. And they're like, that is fantastic news, Jim Cameron. Who is it? And he's like, it's Tom Arnold. They're like, yeah, that's horrible news. <laughs> and Jim's like, why? And he gets, they said, don't you read the tabloids? You know, he, he's a crazy person. And Jim Cameron's like, no, I don't read the tabloids. <laughs> but I wrote this movie, and he is the guy. And they're like, well, we're... Very sorry, but we cannot approve Tom Arnold for this movie. And Jim Cameron, to his credit, said, no, I'm the one that's sorry, because now I'm going to walk across the effing street and make the movie a Paramount. And they're like, you know what? We'll give Tom Arnold a chance. <laughs> and, you know, he really went to bat for me. I mean, it turned out to be the smart thing, right? But, uh, uh, so I didn't know that this drama had gone down, and so every day the Fox execs were coming to the set, and I was hugging them and high-fiving them. Thank you for loving me. Appreciate you there. <laughs> Looking for me to do something wrong to get me out of it. Sunday at the Comic Expo. Lunchtime. We just got out of the Tom Arnold Q&A. Was there anything in that Q&A that you didn't just learn in that Q&A? I, there was so I much he was about in the, true, true Lies. <laughs> yeah. There was so much about Tom Arnold that I had no idea. See, I actually knew of Tom Arnold back in his comedian days. Mm, So I used to see some of his stand-up. He was actually rather good. I've never... I didn't hear about Tom Arnold until Roseanne. No? No, okay. No, he did some rounds in that, and um, 
Interestingly enough, since he chose to talk about Roseanne back in her stand-up days, she was hysterical. Oh, yeah. Now, I do remember her. I, I think I saw her on Carson. Oh, yeah, I think I recall that one, too, because as he pointed out, it was a big deal back in the day because you could even go on Carson, but it was a big deal if you got called over to the couch after your set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was the... You're made. The seal of approval. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And as he said, yeah, all of a sudden now you're signed up for a $100 million yeah. deal. So, yeah, I didn't know much about Tom Arnold until the Roseanne show and then the whole Roseanne divorce and all that stuff. And, yeah, I was just like everyone else that he talked about. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, he's just riding her coattails. You'll never hear from him again, you know, that sort of thing. And, and then, yeah, then uh, True Lies came out. Honestly, I... I don't know if I've seen him in anything else. But he's apparently, I mean, he's done a ton. So maybe I have, and I've just forgotten. Yeah, very well. Uh, It's one of those deals that he's the character actor. Mm -hmm. He's just not the character actor you know because you're not necessarily watching the kind of content he's in. Right. Actually, I'm interested in the one that he was talking about where he said he was very uncomfortable playing the part but felt it was important to do it. Now now I kind of want to see it. No, absolutely. Yeah, no. Um, such, I mean, 180 degree from our last uh, Q&A <laughs> yeah. yesterday. And honestly, it's what you want when uh, he, he he did exactly what you want when you go to some of these Q&A sessions. Granted, he talks so much on his own unprovoked that what question you, would you ask when yes. you got up to the mic? Yes, they, they did say, oh, yeah, we're going to open it up for questions. And I'm thinking... Who's got a question? <laughs> the man just rattled off his entire life. Yeah, I know things about him I have n- never even conceived of knowing. Yeah, I mean, even hit my always my favorite question: How'd you get started in business? Right. <laughs> Show business. Oh no, well, got that covered. Check that box. No, and uh, well, I mean, he told great stories. I it mean, was, how, and, and, and also kind of defines his career. The whole notion he set out to. His dad loving Bob Hope. Mm-hmm. He wanted to do what Bob Hope did. He started doing that. He got on a show with Bob Hope. You have said, you, like he said, I achieved my one and only objective, like in my 20s. Um, I used to pretend that I was, you know, Robin Williams' best friend. Mm-hmm. Oh, did you ever get a chance to meet with Oh, yes, you, yes, you did we get to together. meet Rob. Yes, and you worked together. Yeah. <laughs> it was all there. There was a few people that got a chance to, to get a couple questions, but yet yeah, even every one of those questions that he answered went off on these other awesome tangents yeah. and told other stories. And uh, yeah, and then I have to think there was probably people that went up there to ask a question, someone else to ask a question. The question had nothing to do with their question, <laughs> right? But it had something to do with some other story that reminded them of them, and then ow, how he answered my question and went and sat back down. <laughs> It was very much that. And if you're, you're, if you're one of those uh, that, like, either you have a poor opinion of Tom Arnold or you felt like, yeah, like a lot of people did, that he just rode Roseanne's coattails and that's all anyone knows him for. Um, this is a man that has literally lived all of his own dreams yeah. and, and is just continuing to enjoy life. I mean, how can you not respect that? Well, and then he's talking, too. He starts out in an Iowa meatpacking plant. Right. And even when he decided he wanted to be a writer or he wanted to be a comedian or he wanted to be a movie star or whatever, he could not have imagined that he'd end up working alongside Willem Dafoe, uh, 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 meet Daniel Day-Lewis, 
There's so many other. Uh, he named some like like giants in mm-hmm. the acting. James Cameron. You're working oh, for yeah. James Cameron. Uh, Thinking Arnold it was basically a joke that he would be invited. <laughs> Being actual friends with Arnold Schwarzenegger, mm-hmm. going up to his house and going bike riding with Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> I can only. He says there's pictures out there. Now I kind of want to dig them up because yeah. the the image of Arnold Schwarzenegger and it's not like back in the True Lies days. He's talking like this happened maybe this past year. Yeah. Um. So the notion that he's out bike riding in Toronto with with. Arnold Schwarzenegger in matching shirts and cigars. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that it feels like it needs to be in a movie all by itself. Yeah, that, that has got to be. He, he must end every day by pinching himself. Mm-hmm. You know, did I just dream what just happened? Yeah. In fact, he as much as said that because right. that whole notion that he wasn't allowed to talk about uh, getting the job on True Lies and he started talking about it immediately. Yes. And people going, no, that didn't happen. But then he heard it so many times, he's like, maybe it didn't. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, and that's another great story. And the fact that James Cameron went to platform, he believed him, he met him, he uh, believed in him being right for that role so much that he'd be willing to just pick that movie up and go across the street to another studio. Yeah, no. Yeah, over Tom, over... Uh, I'm not even trying to diss Tom Arnold. It's just literally an actor that he's never really met before. Mm-hmm. And it was, a, it was a legitimate concern by the studio. Because at the time, Tom Arnold was in all the tabloids. Mm-hmm. His, divorce, his marriage and divorce from Roseanne was... It's been so long, I didn't even realize that those were happening simultaneously. Yeah. So, the notion that... Uh, the notion that uh, he had to worry about the press that he was getting at the same time he's about to make a very large movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and it's a good thing. I mean, True Lies ended up being a big success. It is, yeah. Because, yeah, had it bombed, that might have been the last you saw of Tom. Yeah, Hall. no, he would have not. He's right. He wouldn't have worked again. Right, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's a charmed life, but, uh, yeah, you're right. As you put it. He's lived every dream he's had, and he's obviously enjoying the hell out of himself. He loves. He, he seems to really enjoy coming to things like this. Oh yeah, no, and like we were discussing um, off air, uh, these, these are actors. They're paid to do these this work. They're uh, a job's a job's a job. Okay, that was interesting. <laughs> I can't even describe what just walked by. Yeah. <laughs> At any rate, no, I mean. It, He's an actor trying to still get paid for what he does. So, yeah, he loves coming to these uh, and generating some more buzz for himself. But genuinely, just having fun. Uh, like, it, he, he's from Iowa, meatpacking. He, he only conceived of these things, and he's actually yeah. living it. So, yeah. And the fact that he's so um, he's so self-aware. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he knows what a great many people think think of him right and, and he's kind of like no he was very care. he was very open and very honest about everything even to the point that he was like okay i get four ex-wives and i'm a single day with two kids i love coming to things like this <laughs> he's yeah. like it's good money uh, I, I gotta work yeah. <laughs> it was awesome it was a really fun q and i'm so yeah. glad i it wasn't on my list no you're the one that said you know i kind of insisted on it i'm like we kind of need one and i really want to I I, I like Tom Arnold. I'm not I'm not a hater. I, I don't know all of his material, but uh, 
I've known him since he was uh, a comedian. So. Yeah. Like, no, I'm, always I'm, willing to give him a shot. I'm glad you curious. suggested it. I'm very glad you suggested it, and I'm very happy we did it. It was that was a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, more to come. Yes. Hi. How you doing today? Uh, great. How's, how's the weekend been thus far at our Comic Expo? It's been awesome. It's been uh, a nice, uh, busy, friendly convention. This is your first time in Cincinnati? First time in Cincinnati. Not my first time in Ohio, but my first time in Cincinnati. Okay. And I realized, which you guys probably don't know this, but all the big cities in Ohio seem to be starting with a seat. We got stuck this. I started thinking about Iowa. I was like, does that happen in Iowa? No, it's just something about Ohio. <laughs> well, let's, let's, uh, let's just get it started. Um, you know, you, you're known, one of the things that you have worked on was Superman Returns. And you were the, you know, you, you know Superman feature film, you were the, the first person to do a Superman feature film after yes. Super Reads. What was that like, like kind of following yeah, it was all, it was a lot. Uh, it was a great honor uh, to be able to um, pick up uh, after the amazing <laughs> legacy that, that Chris left. Um, he was my Superman and still is my Superman. When I think of Superman, I I I, I picture Chris. Um, yes, and uh, so I was excited and also a little bit. I don't think I was scared. I was too young to be like scared, scared of it. But I was definitely aware uh, of of the expectation from 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 people. And I, I honestly, I had a similar expectation on myself. So um, you know, I, I worked hard to make sure that I was uh, honoring him, being true to Chris, uh, while still adding subtleties of of my own to add to the character. And, and it wasn't your first time auditioning for. Uh, correct. When I finally got yes, I, I had uh, I had uh, had meetings and auditions for a previous iteration of, of Superman story and and, uh, and vision of him. And then, I mean, many years later, you got to come back for Crisis, and you got to be Superman again. What was it like to like put that suit back on? Although it was a little modified, a little different. But what was it like to like I, I, I got to be Superman again? It was an amazing opportunity, almost. Almost on par with the first for me, really. Uh, and as a forty-year-old uh, versus a twenty-four, twenty-five-year-old, it was a different experience. Uh, a lot more wisdom to bring to the character of Superman, and finally felt like I, I kind of actually uh, felt more comfortable embodying Superman with a little more, more life experience on, on, under my belt. Um, Clark, I always felt pretty in tune with. Um, even at a younger age, but it was nice to be able to come back as Superman, uh, and just wonderful to have the opportunity. It's one that I really never, uh, I never really thought that, that was going to happen. The way kind of things uh, ended after Superman Returns, so it was um, an, an incredible moment for me. Okay, and, I mean, you're you, you've kind of stuck with the DC universe. You're now you're you're the Atom in you know the Legends of Tomorrow and the Arrowverse. What, you know, was it exciting to kind of, you know, you started with Superman in DC and you're like, oh, I got to come back as a different character in DC. Was that an exciting experience? It turned into an exciting experience, yeah. I mean, I think at first, my first meeting that I had with the producers, I was a little wary uh, because having played the, the ultimate superhero, uh, I thought, well, what else, what else is there for me to do? You know, <laughs> how can I go play somebody else? 
But when they um, uh, spoke to me about uh, Ray Palmer, they mentioned that they really wanted him to bring levity and, and, and a comedic element to, to Arrow. And so that's what really drew me to the opportunity. Uh, and the fact that the Atom was kind of so different in, in the look anyway, uh, uh, Superman. Um, and, and, and also the opportunity to, to mold the character uh, myself because we hadn't really seen a uh, live action uh, Ray Palmer or The Atoms. So um, I, got to, I had both experiences, one of following in somebody else's footsteps and then one um, creating it on my own with the writers and producers. Welcome for Mr. John Noble. Jason uh, suggested we do this. He's got a few questions for me, and then uh, then there'll be some questions from you as well. So thank you for being here. Sorry, Jason. Yes. Uh, if you guys do want to start lining up here um, uh, for questions, go right ahead. Do not be shy. I think they're worn out from the expo. <laughs> <laughs> watching television, I lost about two minutes. Which <laughs> is not good. Oh, dear. Sorry about that. So, my biggest, uh, my favorite role of yours has been Walter Bishop in French. <laughs> so, I'm rewatching that series with my oldest son now and to see it through his eyes first time. First off, Fringe is a lot more horrifying and frightening than I remember it to be <laughs> in some of those episodes. Uh, <laughs> what, can you talk a little bit about uh, your experience getting into the role of Walter Bishop and uh, just the whole role of Fringe and how you played that role as a scientist that uh, everybody thinks has kind of lost his marbles, but he really hasn't. That's a lot of questions. You got all, all afternoon. And <laughs> I get wrong. It, there is a story to it because I was in Los Angeles uh, in 2007, I think it was, and my daughter was also there trying out for things. And she rang me. She said, Dad, there's a role coming up in this JDA. This thing is made for you. I said, Oh, okay. So I got on to my manager and I said, Oh, that's it. This is going to be good. Can you just put my name up for it? He came back half an hour later and said, they don't want to see you. <laughs> you're too old or you're too fat or you're too tough, bloody thing. No, whatever. So we went home for Christmas with the rest of the family and I get this phone call. Would you please put down the tape for this role? And it was exactly the role she thought I should be going for. And this, this uh, audition scene was fantastic. really was. And so I did it and Sam, my daughter, read Olivia's party against me and we had a friend of Days you had to send hard copies across to it from other places. Anyway, next day I got a call, yeah, you got the role. Which is really <laughs> amazing because normally to get into a, a television series, you, you have to go through a series of auditions and uh, even down to chemistry, it goes up forever. But I've never had to do that, I'm pleased. I think I'd get worn out with all that. So I got it, and then I think two weeks later, no, that's what it is. But you better come to LA just a few days to meet some people. So 
Pete. Then a couple of weeks later, we were up in Toronto shooting the pilot. Oh, so that's, that's sort of long. But in terms of preparation, yeah, I mean, it's, I did a lot of preparation for, for water because I was dealing with a man who's a genius and uh, they're a different breed of people. They see the world differently. They communicate with people differently. Uh, it must be terribly frustrating for geniuses to have to deal with mere mortals all the time. <laughs> But water was certainly that. So I did some research into the social implications of being a genius. And uh, it's a pretty lonely life, actually. Uh, then I also had to, to, to look at his background. Did you, cut, you, you know when you're acting, you, you've got to, you, create, you create the backstory. You create the backstory. So I thought I'm going to create a backstory. So I did, and uh, I figured out he was from the great Harvard experiments in the 80s where they uh, investigated all the, uh, the drugs and the LSD and all that. And uh, so he was part of that mob too, which is part of his love of drugs and uh, <laughs> rock and roll music. He was so that was his sort of background coming into it, working with other great uh, scientists. The other thing was that I was trying to work out with with certain drugs, like he'd been in that hospital and obviously being pumped up with whatever they were pumping him up with. And uh, I thought, what are what the effects of that are? in the long term and the short term on a character. I don't know if any of you saw Fringe, but the opening scene of Fringe was uh, Walter sitting down and talking. And he had a hand going the time. So the manner is as a result of the drugs he'd been taking. And if you look carefully, every now and again during the next five years, you'll see Walter when he's under, under pressure. He does that. Just a little thing to watch for next time. That's a sort of reminder back to it. And how long the drugs take to wear off. I did all that research very thoroughly. So by the time I got, oh, and also I was always interested in um, science, but I made sure that I got really caught up. I'm really caught up with uh, contemporary physics and so forth before I did the show. Because it's a terrible thing to have to, to do a role where you're uh, describing something technical and you don't know what you're talking about. That's always evident. So I would always have to take those difficult speeches and break them back, break them back, so that I knew exactly what I was talking about. And that's what comes through to the audience. And so that was also a hell of an adventure preparing for that role. And of course, the estrangement from Peter, that naughty boy. <laughs> <laughs> he was a grump with me. <laughs> he finally forgave me in the final episode. <laughs> Where I said, oh, you're my favorite thing, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> I had two of those. I had a, a, a final speech with Jessica Nicole, um, who played Astrid, and in that. And the final thing I said was, it's a beautiful name, Astrid. In five years, I've never called her a proper name. So that was, oh, that's Jessica. Turned around, she tears running down her face. I was like, oh my God, this is coming to an end. Cincinnati Comic Expo 2022 wrap-up. We are Sunday afternoon. We just finished a couple more panels, or Q&As, I guess you call it. Uh, spotlights, if you will. Spotlights, yes. That's what they were called. Uh, Brenham Ralph was yep. a joy. He, he is. It just seems like such a nice guy. <laughs> He's like, you can't be this nice. I know, right? No, Brenham Ralph, uh, he just is super sweet. Crazy look, good looking guy. I was gonna say, I, I'm watching him on stage, and they had him up on like a, a projector too, so you yeah. can get it. I'm looking at him like, 
That is a handsome man. Like, there's not, like, a bad angle. You're watching him run his hands through his very, very full hair. Like, oh, my God. Okay, stop. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway... But, but no, uh, it's actually kind of funny. He made lots of commentary about uh, the fact that uh, he, he likes playing the good guys. And I think it's because he's just genuinely a good guy. It's easy for him. It's fun. Right. And, and a little different than you hear a lot of other people who always say, oh, no, I love playing the bad guy because it's so great to get, you know. And he's like, no, it's so fun being the good guy. And it's, <laughs> yeah. so, it's really close to kind of me. I'm thinking, all right, <laughs> stop. <laughs> like... And he was trying to say that he's very much like the Clark Kent guy, meaning just the very sweet, gentle guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's basically, it's hard not to see him look at him and go, I'm just really Superman. Yeah. <laughs> I might not be able to fly, but... Someone pointed it out in the, you know, in the Q&A that they thought that he was like the absolute perfect choice to follow Chris Reeves. Oh, yeah. Because uh, uh, he was the first time he there was an on-screen Superman, right. live, you know, live-action Superman since Christopher Reeves passed away with the role. And I would absolutely agree with her. There are moments in some of his first movie where you get the right angle and stuff. You mm-hmm. think, oh, God, that is Chris Reeves. Yeah, no, he, he very much carried the look, the temperament. Oh, his, uh, his Clark Kent to Christopher Reeves' Clark Kent was spot on. Yeah. I mean, it was very comfortable to watch. It's just a shame it wasn't a better movie than it was. Right, right. Uh, yeah, just brilliant, man. I'm so glad we stopped in this yeah. Q&A. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I, and, and that one did have one of a, those cringeworthy moments for yeah, the... it the, did. There it, was a couple guys that come... I, they, they, obviously, I don't want to... Because they're... No. You don't know what's going on. No. You don't know what that person's life situation, is, yeah. no, what no, their no, life no. is. Yeah, he, he shows up to all the Q&As. He's wearing his uh, Master Chief helmet. Right. Nothing else. No other costume elements, just the helmet. Right. And he comes up and he asks this quest, these questions that are just so... Well, it, 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 here's it, the it thing. wasn't even like the, the, like the weird fandom kind of thing, like, oh, an episode or anything like that. They were actually good, quite, like they topic were good questions, but they for they were for uh, comic book writers and creators. They yeah. weren't they they weren't for an actor to play the part. Yeah, that was those were podcast like level discussions. Sure, yeah, <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't bad questions. It's just you're asking them to the wrong uh, the, the wrong guest. The, this guest, uh, Brandon Ralph, as amazing as he was, he isn't Superman. Yeah, what was it? He was talking about whether uh, whether or not he felt Superman was uh, plagiarized from Doc Savage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was yeah, like, like yeah. his opening, you know. Yeah, like, he's going deep cut into comic yeah, book yeah, territory. No. I thought he was going to go with the idea of, like, do you know anything about Doc Savage? Would you, is that a role you might like to do? And I'm like, I'm sitting there looking at the screen going, I could see this. You yeah. know, and, and that's not the direction it went no, at all. No, no, no. And that's the part, again, like you said, we don't know where he's coming from and his life and all that. But, right. yeah, you just kind of wish... It, that's a fantastic question for the right person to ask him. And he, he wasn't the right and, person. And Brandon handled it with grace, a, yes, as a lot of them do. Uh, and, and that's the only element that, that starts to get me when people ask those questions. It's not that it, they're bad questions, not that you shouldn't ask those questions. It's I, I'm putting myself in the, the guest's role and, and that you don't want to disappoint, and you're, but you're being asked a question. You have no business answering because either you don't have the background, or you just don't. You're not in that. You're not in that role to do. Right. So, right. Yeah. Uh, so I just feel it from their side. 
Uh, John Noble immediately followed. Yes. Uh, the second time that I've had a chance to see John Noble and you see him talk about his stuff. Actually, it's very interesting seeing him in the Q&A versus like I did an interview with him. Mm-hmm. And he seemed very calm and subdued in the interview. Up on stage, he's a showman. <laughs> yes, he is. Uh, I think the theater is in him when he's on a stage. Yeah, so. absolutely. As soon as he came out, he came out. It was like a T-shaped stage. Mm-hmm. They had the couch in the back, and they had a little like runway up the front. Yep. It was probably more for costume contests, that sort sure. of stuff. As soon as he up, was up on stage, he had that mic, and he was down at the end of that T, and he's a, you know introducing himself and thanking everyone for coming. I'm like, wow. Yeah, <laughs> no. And, and, oh, my God, and the dedication to the characters, like... Like, there are a lot of actors when you ask them about their roles and all that, and depending on how many roles that they've been in, they know they know what they've done, and they can speak to it. This man lived the characters that he became. And researched them. Oh, my and, God. And developed backstories and, and yeah. stuff, and, and could still, after all these years, go on stage. It's like, oh, and there's this one scene, and he, he had the lines right. down still, and... Oh yeah, no, 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 yeah. He's busy doing the Lord of the Rings scene, the the big death, the big uh, funeral pyre scene. Yeah, and, and he is just belting it I, out as if he I, had I think, just read it. And I think you could feel like the entire room's like jaw drop. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> for looking those, those few seconds. No tomb for Denethor or Faramir. No long, slow sleep of death embalmed. We shall burn like the heathen kings of old. There, you could look around the room and you could see which things people were there as they were related to, and anyone that was there because of his Lord of the Rings, they just got chills all over their body while watching him and listening. Yeah. It, was a, it was a lot of fun. It was a, it was a really great Q and I. It was really no, that. and yeah, no, I had this is my first time seeing him like like that outside of his actual roles and. For a guy that's a character actor, I mean, he digs in deep. You would have thought that's the kind of stuff you expect somebody who's in the lead to right. do, and he's doing it and making up whole backstories for characters didn't have them. That's how <laughs> that's how he finds the character. Too. Yeah. That's what he said. He, he digs in. He finds. He gets a little backstory. That's how we're. He, he, he needs to know where that character is. Right. And that's how he does it. No, and that's awesome. Man. And there's a reason he's as good as he is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like exactly. anytime you see him, it's it's good. Which is why, to, much to apparently his wife's chagrin, he is not <laughs> truly retired yet. <laughs> but she doesn't mind seeing the residuals roll in. <laughs> yes, to get, get that new kitchen. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. I love that. Uh, but this has been a really great. Uh, expo. Yes. I, this was a great year. Uh, we were talking earlier and uh, you know off off mic and everything though. And I was looking around, particularly this time as we were walking around about the the comics. Mm-hmm. We felt like the comics as vendors weren't as terribly well represented. They had the the big ones. They had like mm-hmm. Comic Book World and Queen City Comics, which two are yeah. probably the largest here in the town. And they're right up front, right up front. And there were some other small stores scattered throughout. Right. But and then you get your independence that they're trying. Yeah, yeah. So I I, I think they, they did okay. Um, I don't know how many, you know, it might be just the fact that I don't know how many stores are left, because I'm sure a lot of them took a big hit over the last couple of years. Well, and uh, from what experience I have with uh, the comic book stores still, a lot of them end up consolidating, uh, mm-hmm. so they either become uh, a shared ownership kind of thing, or 
one person ends up kind of buying the chain of them. So, right. um, yeah, but I, I think uh, this is where the media world, uh, the fact that comic books have become so fashionable over the past decades um, to be in film and in TV, that the focus is so there that it's gotten away from the origin and the actual writing that still takes place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and we are also were commenting how well anime was represented this mm-hmm. year by cosplayers particularly, yeah. but also by vendors. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I, there were a lot of, we commented way too much about passing stores. We're like, don't know what that is. Don't know what that is because th- that that ship has sailed for us. I think, and not to mention just the sheer wealth of stuff that's there. It would be impossible to catch up on all of that. Years ago, the very first Comic Expo, I, I met and spoke to Michael Uslan, who's been the uh, producer or exec- executive producer of every Batman film since 1989. Oh. Wow. <laughs> and we were talking about the history, the future of comics and the future of, of uh, comic-based films and everything. And while he was talking more directly about film, he did say that he thought mag- uh, manga manga, and anime <laughs> was going to be the future. Yeah. Because he said, you go to a bookstore and you see all these women, all these girls, young girls, sitting in the aisles reading manga. Mm-hmm. And while I don't see that coming to play into the film as much yet it is obvious that that fandom has not seen its apex yet no no no. and we're only seeing what we see here i mean worldwide anime and manga it's huge yeah um there's a reason they have their own they have their own cons unto themselves well maybe that's the old uh mark twain adage that you know anything that happens happens in cincinnati seven years later or something kind of thing (laughs) kind of that way yeah Yeah. so maybe that's it maybe we're finally seeing it's filtering this way yeah yeah because it was very strong this year just wait for the bronies to come back (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that they're due now i guess i haven't seen many here but i guess they're due yeah cosplay was really great this year mm-hmm. i only got a, a, a smattering it's no matter how many pictures you take you start seeing other everyone else's photos and you're like where the hell was that where <laughs> yeah. was that where's that person how did i miss them I, i'm thinking we may have to break down one year and actually attend like the costume uh, the costume contest? Yeah, the yeah, costume contest. I, we haven't done it much in the last couple of years, and uh, it, really, I think it's something we probably should have done mm-hmm. to really get a, to get a chance to get them all. I, I don't know why. I don't know why we've done it. I think it's just because it it's always happens like a, a time when something else is going on, or I want to try to get down it's, to someone's table. Or, yeah, and it's also the end of the day, and yeah. if we've been here all day, mm-hmm. it can be a bit of a slog, but... The, there have been, there's all, people are entering at all levels now. Like, yeah. you can walk around here and some of them just start with just the shirt on, on with some jeans. And they're get a couple of things. So they're dabbling and mm-hmm. and that just, that's a slippery slope. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but a fun one, <laughs> although there is financial implications to, to getting into cosplay significantly. Yeah. There was a panel here today that I kind of, I wanted to hit, but it was right. the same time as, uh, Brandon or John, I forget, it was cosplay on a budget. Yes. And I thought that would have been a really interesting panel to sit in and see, get other people's perspective on that very topic. No, that would have been a lot of fun, but uh, yeah, there's only the two of us. Yeah, unfortunately. 
and I wanted to see John Noble too. Yes, <laughs> and I'm really, really glad we did. Yeah, no, he was a lot of fun. Yeah, but overall, yeah, it was a great show. I mean, it we was. were, like we said, we've been hopping this thing up for months now and really excited for it, and it didn't disappoint. No, it didn't, uh, and we did two days. We considered the third. If there had been the... If the guests that were supposed to be here that ended up having to cancel. not cancel, we might have had to done the third day. Yeah, I think so. Even if it was kind of like an in and out, mm-hmm. uh, I'm just going to run in, do Let, the Q and A, and then yeah, let's just get the, the info and go. Yeah, yeah, because uh, it's it is a lot. Uh, so, but this was a lot of fun. It was nice to come back to this. Yep, it was a good. I look forward to this every year. I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's two things I truly look forward. To. Everyone knows Monster Bash and Expo. Yep. And uh, yeah, Expo really topped it uh, the list this year. It yeah, was no, a lot was, of fun. Yeah, and a lot of creative stuff out there. So uh, we we didn't even touch on everything no, that no. there was to see here. No, and I'm sure some of it will filter through in future episodes of, and of, of further the podcast. conversation. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, but I think that is going to wrap it up for 2022 because uh, I am tired. My battery is almost dead, <laughs> and uh, I don't think there's anything else left to say. We might we might go buy stuff if we stay around too much longer, and that needs to not happen. It, exactly. <laughs> All right. So that's it. Thanks, everybody, for listening to our coverage here this year. Um, listen to our regular programs as, as they come up. And, of course, next year we'll be back at the 2023 Expo. Probably once again going, I can't believe how great the guest list is. So I'm looking forward to it. 